Great teachers don't just come from the classroom. They can be found almost anywhere in your life. That's why we, Wade and Hope King, created this podcast to connect you with the stories, the tools, and the joy you need to take education to the next level. Nowadays, everyone's an educator. Whether you chose that career or not. And we're all in this together. So come on, let's do this. It's time to get your teach on. Welcome back to the Get Your Teach On podcast. We are so excited because today we have a sit-down interview with the one, the only, Rachel Lindsay, you guys. Obviously, we all know her as one of the former bachelorettes, so if you are like me and you have a bachelorette love and heart, you are already excited about this, but she is also an incredible host on Extra. She just came out with her first book, Miss Me With That. She does so many incredible things. She has a podcast called Higher Learning. She is a huge advocate for women empowerment, also for women of color. She just is literally one of the most incredible people that we have ever come across. Wade and I talk about her often and just how genuine she is. And so many of you also know that she's going to be part of the national conference this summer. And we talk about that and we talk about, you know, what is her role in education and how is she showing up for teachers? We also get into some of the tea on The Bachelor because of course I asked her some things that I wanted to know, but also I had her share some things that maybe we haven't heard or haven't seen on television. Um, we chat about her book, all the things. And so we hope that you got, well, we know that you guys are going to enjoy this episode and just truly be empowered by her message and um, how she shows up, shows up as a strong, powerful woman in this world, which is all of us educators as well. So enjoy this interview with Rachel Lindsay. What's up, Rachel? How are you? I'm good. What's up, guys? It's good to see you again. So good to see you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I am so excited to dive in and talk about all the things. I know Wade has a list, and I'm like, I have a list. list, A good list. Wait a second. There's a lot of other things (laughs) that I really want to talk to her about. Let's go. (laughs) So we're gonna dive in. So first of all, um, Rachel, just this is like a. First of all, crazy thing, because this is obviously a podcast for educators, for teachers. Yeah. So um, first of all, just like, I want to start with how we met and kind of how you came. This is a surreal moment for me, because obviously I've always been a huge Bachelor, Bachelorette fan. Like I've told you this before. Um, so just kind of how we even got yeah. to know one another and why are you here on a, a podcast for teachers? So, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So I'll start with how we got to meet and know each other. So earlier this year in January, we were both at the College Football Playoff Foundation's Extra Yard for Teachers Summit. That is the name of the summit. Shout out Extra Yard for Teachers. It's it's long. No, we get it too. Did I miss a word? Did I add a word? I've messed that one up again many times. And you guys were hosting this fantastic summit. I'm, I'm usually there. So I've been involved with the foundation College Football Playoff a foundation for four years. I started, it came on in 2018. And this is the first year that I've had the opportunity to meet you guys because last year it wasn't in person. So we were back all together again. We met, we clicked immediately. You guys killed it hosting the summit. And um, I was on stage for like five minutes. So, you know, I could learn a, a thing or two from you guys. But the reason that I am tied to the foundation Um, I feel like it's always the number one question because a lot of people, they're like, okay, and former bachelorette, Rachel Lindsay, and people, you know, it's that slow clap, like, wait, what? Why? Why? The teachers, why is she? Well, um, not only did I grow up with teachers, my mom was actually, she was in um, statistics at first. And then when that job, they were letting people off, she went ahead and quit. She stayed at home for a bit. Then she came on as a substitute teacher, fell in love with it and ended up retiring from teaching. She teach, or she taught for 20 years at the school that I went to. She was never my teacher, <laughs> but she was good. And um, I, I grew up with aunts and uncles that were either in administration or that were teachers or coaches. So it's always been something very, very near and dear to me. People that I look up to are teachers, and I feel like that says something, that there's something about that. And um, for me, I was a substitute teacher right. for 
for a full year, long-term gig as a substitute teacher in high school. They thought I was one of them. In junior high, they ran me away. <laughs> Elementary was my fit. I had K through four physical education. Um, the circumstances as to why I had the long-term gig aren't as pleasant because I was filling in for someone who's battling cancer. But I, I stepped in. I, those kids were mine. You couldn't tell me any different. And um, I had the time of my life to the point where I almost thought about not going to law school. This was my gap year. And I ended up going, but I ended up writing my essay about my students because they impacted my life so much. That is amazing. And I feel like we need like an applause sound effect for any substitute teacher because, oh my word, it is like that right there. I mean, yeah, that's how I started. I started long-term subbing too. And it's, it's no joke, right? Like you, you enter into someone else's world, someone else's family, someone else's, um, I guess, expectations, and you've, you've really got to fulfill those, but then also you have your own personality that you're coming in. So I totally get it. <laughs> totally, totally get it. Um, well, talking about like your, your, your parents, um, your, your mother, especially being an educator for 20 years, and then you stepping in and being a long-term sub, but, but you, you really pursued that to, to be an attorney, right? Your experience going through school, what was that like? I mean, it's, it's one of those things to where I mean, I, I'm just curious, right, to, to understand what your schooling was like. But then also, why were you pushed into, because most, honestly, like if you were, were to, if you were to poll Americans, most females are not interested in, in civics and social studies and law, right? So why is that so, why was that so important to you? And what inspired you to do that? Was it a teacher? Was it something you learned in school? Just love to hear uh, what pushed you in that area. Yeah, no, um, great question. So I was inspired to go into law by my dad, who was an attorney. I mean, I guess technically he still is, but now he's a judge. And he's been doing that since 98. But I, my dad, and then the other one is Matlock. Now, hopefully people listening will understand that. Okay, I didn't say Perry Mason. I didn't go that far. <laughs> right. And Matlock, this was a show that was- Oh, Matlock, the show. I thought you meant Matlock. Yes, Matlock, the no. show. I got you. I was like, is this a? Is this like Mr. Lock? Is he a- like, Oh, got Lock? you. I love, yes. Matlock, I loved Matlock. And there were so, as a kid, I grew up in a strict household and there were so many things we could not watch. But one of the things we could watch was Matlock. And I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And I thought between him and my dad, it was very exciting to me. But also with my dad, I saw a lot of firsts and my dad, I remember growing up and hearing stories of my dad and my dad went to a great law school. Shout out to the University of Texas. <laughs> but when, uh, so he was in law, um, Austin practicing and then my mom got a better job in Dallas. So he quit his job, moved to Dallas with her, but couldn't get hired. Hmm. No one would hire him. This is the seventies. It's a different mm -hmm. time. And then three months in, he was about to hang up his own shingle. He's going to start his own practice. And then someone said they're hiring black attorneys at the city. And my dad was like, okay, I'm going to go down there and interview. And he got the job as an assistant city attorney. And he said to himself, if I don't triple my salary by a certain amount of time, I'm going to leave. Mm. Not only did he do that, he ended up becoming the first black city attorney for Dallas. Wow. So he started at the bottom. And then he ended up overseeing all the attorneys in the city. And so I saw that, I remember being seven years old and seeing my dad get that position. It wasn't until later I understood the story behind it, but being so proud and thinking he was so cool. And at that same time, I remember I was learning about historical figures, particularly black ones. And I was learning about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I just, and I was learning the I Have a Dream speech because surprise, my parents had me in uh, speech competitions as a kid. Mm. And I learned a portion of the I Have a Dream speech. And I just, I'm not saying my dad is Mar Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at all, but just seeing how he was a leader and how he was breaking down barriers mm. and he was a first in a lot of ways and just stood up for what he believed in and how people doubted him. I just connected the two. And so that's why I said, you know what? I want to do this. I want to go into law and sprinkle that with a little matlock. And um, that really pushed me towards that profession. And I never turned away from it. it. It was always within me. 
And even when I started to get interested in other things, as I was in college, I, I changed my major from government to sports management. I went to law school that focused on, and, and, and um, it was particular to sports law. Mm. And that's why I chose that law school. I still was like, I'm going to go to law, uh, become a lawyer, because that's what I always said I was going to do. It was just in me. And I knew I would regret it if I didn't do it. That's, and that, I mean, wow, what a incredible story of just like, being inspired by your, your dad. But then, I mean, it, it's something that we talk about a lot, like just about representation, seeing seeing yourselves, but also making those connections with your students, but then also adding something that's a little extra. Like it's, it yes, it, it's the history and it's the connection, but then it's also the fun with the matlock for you. That's what all those things together really, really drove you into what you do. My, my I, I do have a follow-up question. Those lessons you were talking about just with Martin Luther King and these black historical figures, were you learning those in school or were you learning those more from your parents? Great question. <laughs> there are only a few that we would learn in school. Right. So of course I, I learned about um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because, you know, they have, um, we look at him in a different way now than, they, than he was back then. So we learned, I learned about him and I would learn about Rosa Parks, but majority of mine, my knowledge of black history came from my family and came from church. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. And you know, one of the biggest things that Wade, he he's the reason he started off with that question. I'm like, I'm glad I let you get that question in and get started is because he is so into social studies, historical components, politics, current events, things of that nature. And whereas I'm kind of the opposite, I've never really been super interested in that. And we have had a lot of dialogue and a lot of talks. And I feel like, you know, typically a lot of females, um, white females, black females are not interested in historical events. And Wade um, actually was sitting with a parent one time. Oh and boy, this was about special. just the interest of their daughter. And mm -hmm. the father was explaining, well, my daughter isn't super interested in history and social studies. And Wade said, let me show you why. He literally opened up a textbook, a textbook that he had, and he doesn't even- That we were supposed to use. Yeah, he doesn't even teach out of the textbook, but he opened it up and he pointed, he said, I'm not even gonna look. I'm just gonna open this up and point to someone. And he did that repetitively. And every time he pointed to a white male. And so, you know, it's no surprise that based on how I was raised and the, the history lessons that I learned, primarily being white men, you know, for me, not seeing representation in that, it's not very motivating, right? And so what would it have meant for you in school? Because, you know, I, I do think that this is starting, we're starting to see some change. We're starting to see, yeah. you know, awareness. We're starting to see, you know, some impact of the work that so many have been doing. But what would it have meant for you to open up a textbook or to have a lesson, you know, about strong, powerful black women and you being a black girl in school? What would that have meant for you in really developing your interest in, and kind of the power that, that would have had in classrooms and kind of the importance of that now in, mm. in the educational system? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it would have meant absolutely everything for me because in my book, for the first time ever, I dive into racial identity and how I struggled with it growing up. It's not because of my parents. It's not because of the neighborhood I lived in. It's not because of the church. Um, well, my neighborhood, yes, and I'll, I'll yeah. explain that in a second, but it was because I went to a predominantly white school my entire life from age three all the way to graduation. And uh, I mean, I guess you could throw college in there too, but those formative years, like I'm from three till 12th grade. And um, I, in the beginning, the reason I say I struggled with racial identity is because there weren't many students who looked like me at my school. It was already a very small school. There were no teachers of color. And you open up lesson plans, and there was no one that I could relate to. And I think that's why I feel so much on Martin Luther King Jr. because I finally saw someone. Mm. But I wasn't learning about Black women. I wasn't learning even Black History Month. We didn't even get Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day off at my school. That's something my parents fought to get. We got other days, but not that one. Um, so I struggled with trying to be accepted at a very young age and trying to be like my classmates. 
and toned down my blackness because I thought they would accept me more if I acted more like them, if I wasn't so black. And that also is, and so if I had opened up a textbook and I had seen um, a powerful black or inspirational black woman, I could have held on to that. Now, of course I have that in my mother and family and even people that I saw like in extracurricular activities that I was doing, but just to, to be in the classroom and to point to this person and to say, see, mm-hmm. we can do this too. See, I'm like this person too, would have meant the world to me. And I, and then the reason I said I, I was going to not say neighborhood and then I did say neighborhood is because when I would go back to my neighborhood, they would tease me and call me a white girl because of the way mm. that I would talk and because of the school that I went to or because of what my parents did. And so I was stuck in this place where I would look at myself in the mirror and I knew exactly who I was, but I had one group telling me that I wasn't enough and I had another group where I felt like I couldn't be myself to fit in. So to have a lesson or have a teacher tap into um, a historical figure, even someone in the present and say, hey, you know, this black male or female is doing this or has done this or you know it would have been everything to me in that moment and that is why because a little bit of your question dealt with the present it it hurts my heart so bad with the banning of books Mm. because i know what it was like to grow up and not see yourself represented in school life yeah. And you know that it is still so real. It is still so real for so many different students, um, just with so many different, you know, identities and the way that they see themselves. And, and it's just, it is. And it is something that we talk about a lot. And we have a lot of conversations, you know, on our platform and with our community, just about the importance of inclusive practices and what that means for students and how that, you know, a big thing for us is student engagement, right? We want for kids to be excited about coming to school every day. Like we want for lessons to be exciting. We'll decorate our classroom. Wade walks around with a guitar on it, like literally anything outside of the box. Right. But honestly, None of that can matter until connections do. And connections are all about not what we feel, but how our students Mm. feel. And so, you know, it's so funny because we'll get questions a lot. And I know you're going to be at national conference this summer. Oh, um, yeah. To talk to teachers. And we're so excited about that. And and we're going to get into that in just a second. But we get a lot of questions about like, well, why are you having people outside of the education (laughs) world and profession at your conference? And I'm like, well, hold up. Because every single individual was a student at some point. And that is who we work with. And by hearing your story and your experiences, that challenges me, you know, as as a white female educator to to make sure that I am aware of that, not only, you know, with the identity that you have, but with all of my students in my classroom, those lessons, you know, I can decorate my classroom as cool as I want it to be, but they're not going to connect to that if I'm not working to connect with them. And I think that's such a big piece of the work that we do as educators. Well, for and, sure. and I also think, and this is more of a personal thing and to, to you, for, for you, Rachel, just to hear this. I mean, obviously hopes my wife, but we've talked together for a long time. And I remember when George Floyd happened and just, there was a huge wake up call and just making sure that, um, I guess as educators, we, we we're doing what we've been called to do. And I just remember sitting just sitting down with our white family, our small white family and laying in the bed at night. And I'm, I'm listening to this Instagram with hope looking at something on Instagram on her phone. I'm like, what the heck is this 12 o'clock? What is happening? And she's sitting there watching exactly what you were talking about. And it was literally you. Um, but it was affirmation for what we've all been thinking, but that it was, Hey, it, yes, there's that white guilt out there. It's always going to be there, but understanding truly what it means to relate to people and in, in our circumstance to our students, mm-hmm. to kids and the people in our community. And just thank you for that. And, and I know it's it, it's a burden to bear and it's hard to talk about sometimes and it's not your responsibility to do that. It's our responsibility to do that. But that was two, a little over two years ago and it still resonates in my, and I think it will resonate in my mind forever. And I never knew that we would connect via extra yards or be together, but the universe works and God works in mysterious ways, obviously. And it's, I don't think it's by happenstance that you are coming to our Get Your Teacher National Conference mm-hmm. and you made a direct impact, not only hope the professional and me, but also us personally, like we, we saw you there. Like it was, you, you, you it was like you were talking to us. So 
thank you for that. Um, it's it, it it truly meant a lot, and I know that's not where we wanted to go, but I would forget <laughs> about it uh, because I have the ADD, like <laughs> like nobody's business. That's true. And I wanted to this just, is how our podcast. I just wanted like, to put that out there real quick. (laughs) You know, it just kind of goes everywhere. But, (laughs) but truly, I mean, it, you have just had such an impact on me. You know, I am very, at this point, open and honest with having just a conversation in my journey as an educator, period, you know, and walking into it in the beginning of my career, not even recognizing that I had privilege, you know, how much that just that awareness, that recognition has shaped my interactions with my kids. And I have by no means perfected it. And by no means will I ever. Um, but it's a work that we are committed to yeah. continuing to do. And you have obviously been a big part of that and all of the roles that you've played um, just for me as as a female. So thank you for yeah, that. And that's yeah. why and, and just double downing on like, it's it's what it's what we're talking about, like people outside of education, right? Yeah. People outside of education, we're not going to make a change. We're not going to make a difference if we're not different and we, if we don't bring in our community. And it's not just educators who can do that. It's everybody. So, yeah. 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 So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you for saying that. And I, you know, it's interesting because there is this conversation about like, you know, it's not your responsibility and a burden. And I and my podcast uh, host and I go back and forth with this because he is of that sentiment. And for me, I appreciate the awareness because it was such a shift in 2020, mm-hmm. such a shift. And the reason I can pinpoint it too is because of the way I had been outspoken before when it came to bachelor's world, because that's where I come from, to see the change in how people responded to it. So for me, I'm just happy people are listening. You know what I mean? There's the awareness, there's the recognition. People are listening and trying to understand. And I can take that because that is that's a big step from where we were doing things before. Yeah. So it's, it's the teacher in you. See, that's it's, what it it's is. the teacher in you. It's a teaching opportunity. That's what that's what we're that's going with. That's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. Okay, so I do want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, and obviously, Bachelor World has been a journey for you, but ultimately, it led you to your amazing husband, um, Brian. Um, but just out of curiosity, this is more, I hate to make this podcast about me, but I'm going to make it about me for, for a second. What even led you to something like The Bachelor? Right. I it's. I was just having this conversation with people in the office because we were talking about Housewives, Real Housewives, which I'm just like... A fanatic. Obsessed with, yes. And, um, <laughs> yes, yes, we can definitely talk. Uh, but I was saying, you know, I'm not really into love reality shows, though. And then they look at me and they're like, but you're on The Bachelor. And I said, but I didn't watch The Bachelor before. Mm. So never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would, one, just watch the show, let alone be on the show. And so for me, I was just at that place, at that crossroads in my life where I just felt like I was just going through the motions and I had, I didn't feel fulfilled in anything that I was doing. I had gotten the job that I wanted. I was with a great firm. I was on track, you know, on that partner track. Uh, But I had also just come out of a five-year relationship with the person I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, even though I knew that is not the person I should be spending the rest of my life with, but I didn't want to give up on that relationship. So it was at this place where you know, like I had lost my love. I felt I had lost my joy with my career. And then my coworkers, two of them come in and say, hey, you should go on The Bachelor. And I just laugh. I actually said, I don't watch that show, but I know it's not for. <laughs> oh, man. And they laughed and they go, no, Rachel, if you were on it, I think you'd really go far. And sometimes it takes somebody close to you to see something in you or to believe in you in, in a way that you can't see or believe in yourself. And so I'm forever grateful for them. They were actually on the season. They're big fans of the show. They were at the reunion. So I was happy I could give them an experience that they've always wanted too. And um, yeah, I just I just said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm so glad I did. You know, I never thought I would find love. That's just been the cherry on top. But what I found was myself. Mm-hmm. And and this is a side of reality to me that I don't know if everybody gets, but I feel like if you fully immerse yourself in this experience, there's something beautiful about it because you are stripped from everything that you know, which is stripped away from everything that you know, but that's scary. But no distractions, no phone, no internet, no social media, no family, that outside noise that might be telling you what you should do, even though you feel something different. 
And so for the first time, the only thing I had that was familiar to me was, was me, mm. my thoughts, my desires. And you're constantly talking about what you want, whether it's in love and life. And if you do it right, even if you don't win at the end, which I didn't on The Bachelor, I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted when I walked away from it. I remember having a conversation the last week with the executive producer and really trying to push me and get me to say the I love you's and all of that. And they asked me why I was there. And my, you know, the, the, the answer I could have given, the show answer is, you know, I've been here to find love. You know, I, it's just been, it's just such a struggle for me. And I'm sure I said that at one point in the season. But at that point, I had done a lot of soul searching. And I said, I looked at him and I said, you know what? I came here to fly. Wow. And it was like I had been living in this box and I came to escape everything that I knew before. And I really came to find myself and what I wanted for myself in my career, with love, with the person I wanted to walk through life with, with faith, to be honest with you, too. And just so there's so many things that I was like, wow, I know exactly who Rachel Lindsay is. And that mindset prepared me to going on The Bachelorette. So really, The Bachelor saved me in a lot of ways. Um, saved me from myself because I feel like I was going down the wrong road mm -hmm. prior to going on the show. I walked out finding myself and then I walked into The Bachelorette thinking I was doing it for the culture, which I was, and I walked out of it falling in love. Mm -hmm. So it's just crazy the way the journey wow. takes you. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, yeah. Okay, now I got to ask you this because I think this is going to be huge for our listeners and specifically for teachers who are in a predominantly female driven profession, right? The, the men in this profession are few and There's far not many of us. They're There's not brave enough. Not a, many They're not at brave all. enough to take it on. No, but I want to talk to you because I know a lot of people, I've listened to obviously a lot of interviews and, you know, um, following you on social media, I know that one of the biggest questions that you get is, well, what was it like for you to be the first, you know, person of color in that lead position? Um, and so you're gonna have to go to another interview with Rachel to hear that response, because I know that's been asked of you so much. I want to take right. it a little bit different direction, especially when you were on The Bachelor. You're in this house surrounded by women, right? Oh, and you're all working to obviously win the affection of The Bachelor, um, which is it's not a direct parallel because obviously in teaching, we're not trying to win love, uh, right? But- I'm, Oh, this is a great, I know where you're going. This competition <laughs> with women can be such a big thing, right? And especially in the world of education, when you have primarily, you're surrounded by women all day long, and you are all doing the same role, the same job, the same task. But then many of us are spouses. We are mothers. We wear lots of different hats. Um, can you just kind of speak to, to what it has been like as a woman who has been surrounded by a lot of powerful women and just kind of the role that competition plays in that um, and how you kind of handle that? Because I know as teachers, yeah. even though we all want what's best for our students, right? At the end of the day, that's 100% why we're all there to do that work. But I feel like a lot of times we're constantly measuring ourselves up to women on social media, to the teacher next door. Oh, the teacher next door, you know, she's able to do this and do an incredible job being an educator and she's an amazing mom or, and she's an amazing spouse. So what has that looked like just yeah. in the role that you have played as a powerful woman being surrounded by other powerful women? It's a great question. And I think the first thing that I have to say is I struggle with it because a lot of people look at me and they say, oh, you're so confident. You have it all together. It's important for me to tell you that I don't always. And it's a constant battle. and It's a constant of not just reassuring myself, but talking to myself and reminding of myself certain things and not getting caught up in other people's things. So The Bachelor, it's interesting. It's it's hard to describe just the whole way it starts out and you, you underestimate it because you have no idea what it is that you're walking into. And I could talk to every single contestant that's been on the show, but nothing will prepare you for that moment that that door opens and you walk out and you see that man or woman standing there in a sea of people in black with their cameras and their mics. And you're in front of this hideous mansion because it is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> in front of this mansion. And you're like, oh, that's what it is. It's just very overwhelming. But what you don't hear about as much is when you, you finally say your bit to the bachelor or bachelorette. And you walk away and you're like, woo, I did it. 
and then you walk through those doors, it is even more overwhelming to see all those beautiful women. That was it. It mm. wasn't my case. And I remember, and they're loud, and they're excited, and they're stunning, and they're charismatic. And you think, I remember my first thought was, how did I get here? Why am I here? I'm definitely going home tonight. Oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? And then you sit there on the couch, because you're all in the same room, and you see you're sizing people up, and you're comparing your physical features and your personality, and, to, and you're listening to their conversation. And I hated it in that moment as I like 10 minutes in, I was like, I don't like this. I don't like where my mind is going. I don't like that. I'm already looking at this as a competition. This should be fun, exciting. It's new. I have no idea where this is going to take me. And I got up and I went in the kitchen. I grabbed a cup of coffee. I went in the kitchen. There I met my best friend from the show, Astrid. And she must have had the same thought that I did because it was like, whoa, what is this? And I'm so glad I did that in that moment because I was able to look, separate myself. So I was in the kitchen and I was looking out at the room where all the women were. And instead of sizing them up, I started to separate that feeling that I had when I was with them and and, um, when I was separate from them. And I just remembered why I was there. And I reminded myself of that. And I encouraged myself and I lifted myself and I inspired myself. And I said, it doesn't have to be so competitive. And I think that's just kind of been my MO. It was through the season, but also through life, because the moment that I start comparing myself to other people and the moment that whether it's on social media, whether it's in the bachelor house, whether it's in my job, this job makes you do that for sure. Uh, Being on television. Are you good enough? You're constantly questioning, questioning it. The moment that I do that, I'm giving somebody else power over me. That's what I completely remind myself of. They have control over me. And it's all about finding that power within and taking control back. You deserve to be there. There's um, there's enough room for everyone at the table. And if you start believing in yourself, that's magnetic. Mm -hmm. And other people will see it and they'll feel it too. And it's so easier said than done. And that's why I started off the answer with saying, I still struggle with it because I do. We live in a world that constantly wants to... make us feel like we're not good enough or we should be doing better and the truth is you're fine you're doing great sweetie tell them (laughs) tell them rachel tell them rachel (laughs) you really are and the moment that you first start believing that for yourself and it takes work and it takes time i don't want anybody to think that it just happens overnight but when you start so will other people and it's so much easier to navigate the world when you just really believe in yourself and what you can do and what you represent. That that is a word. I do have one follow-up question from that because you are so incredibly powerful and you are just a strong woman. That is obvious. You know, I mean, like you said, again, I totally understand that every woman struggles and any woman who said that she doesn't struggle is a liar. Like we could just go ahead and I would love to meet her and have a conversation with her if any woman says that she still doesn't struggle with comparison, right? But you are so strong and so confident in what you do and you know, being in the entertainment industry and doing all of that all that you do from from an educator's perspective perspective when we do walk in and we are a confident teacher and we are proud of what we do and we are, you know, being a trailblazer in a sense and teaching different ways, a lot of times that causes other people to get give the side eye, right? Like, oh, why did why does mm-hmm. she have to be extra? Why does she have to, you know, go above and beyond? Mm-hmm. Um, what advice could you give to teachers, you know, being a strong woman yourself? when how do how do you sometimes win others over because again you were in bachelor mansion with all of these women a, a question that we get a lot of time is with coworkers like well what do i do when my coworkers don't appreciate or don't see what i'm trying to do or sometimes think that i'm just doing this to be you know better than they are that's tough because you're just being yourself and honestly that's what makes them uncomfortable probably your confidence like you knowing exactly what you want to do and how you want to do it makes them uncomfortable because they're not in that place. This is where I would just say, kill them with kindness. Yeah. You know, help me help you. That's right. You know, I I see that we're not connecting. I see. And yes, it's going to make them uncomfortable. I'm sure. And maybe they won't be receptive. You can't win everyone. That's right. But I would just, if I noticed it, 
And I'm very confrontational, so I understand this might not be the best <laughs> <laughs> will make me An attorney confrontational? Like, what? what? <laughs> I, I am an extrovert, an extrovert. There should be another word. That's her. But Don't you worry. <laughs> All day. <laughs> if you can get past it and you recognize it, just kill, like take them to lunch, right. you know? Yeah. Go sit down when everyone's gone for the day and just try to communicate with them when no one else is looking and maybe an understanding of them will break down whatever that issue yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I just say go for yeah, it. I mean, Make them uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm with you. It, she is. I am not. I hate confrontation <laughs> all day long. So you can imagine when we argue what that's like, that doesn't help at all. That's me and my husband. Yeah. Too. Oh, it's good, probably a good, good thing that we're not both conference. That would be a very bad marriage potentially. I mean, you know, I'm just, I, Oh, okay. And then I'm just quiet. And then it's all in here and that's never good. Anyway, we'll, we'll have counseling later therapy. It'll be fine. Um, but j- just to kind of recap just a little bit, because I heard a lot of things that we've talked about on this podcast, like mm-hmm. when you are burnt out and you're tired and you're exhausted, right? That's what you were talking about at the beginning. Like, Take a step, a, a leap of faith. Do something that's different. Nothing is literally holding you into what you're doing for the most part, right? That's yeah. when you said, I'm going to take the jump and I'm going to put myself out there. And if I can be on Bachelor Nation, here I go, right? I'm going to try something different, even though you, you may have, you may feel like you're stuck in a rut. The second thing is, I mean, just focusing on why representation is so important, like, Oh my gosh, like if you can't make those connections with your students, mm-hmm. what are we doing? Rigor, excitement, that's all great. But if you're not building those relationships, you've got to build those relationships. And it doesn't just go with our students. You just hit on it, right? Yeah. Love people. Loving people doesn't mean you have to like them all the time, but being kind, doing things that you would go out of your way for other people. When, when you see that, they, you never know what's going on. You never know what's going on with your, with your colleagues just because they don't do something the same way you do doesn't mean it's the wrong way. Like if you want to bring people in, you got to bring them in. You got to bring them in with love. You got to love on them. You got to do something for them. Yeah. Got to be servants at the end of the day. Yeah. So before we move on to your book, because I do want to talk about yeah. your amazing book with our um, listeners. But before I before I do that, okay, girl, I got to just ask for a little bit of tea. Okay. So what is something, before we move on from Bachelor World, what is something that you can tell us that maybe we would not know about bachelor, bachelorette, whether it be your experience or just the overall experience. I'm just I'm just curious for a little bit of something that maybe we don't get to see it be on silly. TV. It yeah. could be silly. Yeah. So I already told you the, the mansion's ugly. Gross, yes. yes. But yeah. it's ugly. It's gross too. But do you know that we don't get to explore the entire mansion? There's a part that's blocked off. It's like Beauty and the Beast. And so... <laughs> Don't go yeah, to West wing. Wing. <laughs> Stay out of there. There's probably a wilting flower or something back there. It's a rose. It's a magical so rose. Parallels. So yes, many parallels. Gracious. It's Looky a, there. It doesn't matter if you're the a contestant or the lead. There are certain areas that are completely cut off that no one gets to see. So you have the places you see, like the rose room, which is where the rose ceremonies are. You have to kitchen you have the main den you have the outside area and that's all you actually really see as viewers upstairs they don't really take the cameras they're not allowed to and there are three bedrooms and a couple bathrooms but there's a whole wing of the house that i have never seen and even if you try to like peek behind the door there's you can't you can't wow. so I, have, maybe, I think a control room might be back mm. there or maybe it might be in another area on the lot oh my it's gosh. it's um yeah, it's very that's, mysterious. That's where they're scheming all that's the plans creepy. for all the, the That is so creepy. <laughs> I mean, okay. what would they do to you? Like, if you went back there, they're not going to kick you off. You're I the mean, bachelorette. Perhaps, you Maybe, know? though. I don't know. Well, they might. Maybe. They might. They might do something. <laughs> so, you know, they love a twist. <laughs> true. The most shocking thing <laughs> ever. I mean, you no. know, it's, they got to have something. They got to have something. Um, But moving on from Bachelor World. So you yeah. wrote an amazing book called Miss Me With That. So tell us just a little bit more about that book. And is it what about, inspired you to yeah, do it? Is it about yeah. your bachelorette, bachelorette journey? What what is a, what what kind of inspired? Yeah. The project for for your book. Yeah, so miss me with that. I'm very proud about um, it. You're going to get a, a, a lot of everything that has to do with Rachel. 
But what inspired me to write the book is when you go on reality television, you think you know what you're getting yourself into, but you don't. But the main thing you don't realize is that you're giving up control of your story. And I saw it on The Bachelor, and then I saw it on The Bachelorette, and then I saw it in interviews I had to do when I was under contract after that. And so I just wanted the opportunity to not convince people that, you know, of a different me, because I'm not going to win certain people over. We talked about that. There is a sector of people from the show that just are never going to like me. And that's fine. I'm not trying to. That is crazy. That. Why would no one like you? <laughs> I'm, she said she's confrontational and she's strong. Like that's, that's what it is. That's their problem. Yeah, go ahead. But uh, I, what I, when you separate yourself from something, you can see it so much more clearly. And what I noticed is that they want the bachelorette to be seen, but not heard mm. from. Like they want, like you're up on this pedestal. You're the country's most eligible bachelorette. We want to see you and want you to be beautiful and pretty and very pageant-like. But we don't really want to hear you unless you're talking, you know, like, now they give the, the women these, these power moments. You know, they want them to have this one moment. But even before that, that's not what the show was about. You were supposed to be desired and sought after. And you were supposed to be rescued and saved. That's really what the role of the bachelorette was. Very traditional thinking mm. and so for me i wanted people to understand me i wanted you to understand why i can't contain myself and i have to speak out about diversity diversity and inclusion why representation is so important for me where that started from a lot of people want to say oh she just jumped on the bandwagon no it was the example of my parents growing up the way that i saw my dad being treated as a first as first as a city attorney then as a federal judge in his section, the way I saw my parents fight for certain things to be implemented to make their black children feel included at this predominantly white school. I saw my parents constantly standing up for what was right. I was protesting. My I tell my, my protesting story and what really got me there. I did a little bit in college, but it was really after the Trayvon Martin. I was going to ask, when did um, that see yeah. it was, it was I was broken after that. And that really started me getting involved with protest. Um, but I, by the sorority that I'm a part of has five different points. And one of them is political awareness and involvement. So it's like part of the reason I enjoyed, um, joined Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Ah, Incorporated uh, you would be, yep, makes sense. Of its five point thrust, one of them being education and development, and one of them being political awareness and involvement. And so I wanted people to learn those stories because I wanted them to understand the woman that I am today. But I also wanted them to understand I'm a hot mess. I'm a little, I'm a little wild. Okay. And that was the twenties. And there are a lot of chapters of that. And I just wanted people to see, because also there's the stigma of the bachelorette that you're so put together and you're so perfect. And I'm not that all the time. And I wanted, I don't think you can be relatable as a bachelorette and and I don't necessarily know if I like that word. I said, oh, she's so relatable. It's just that it just doesn't seem realistic is what I mean to say. And so I wanted people to see the other side of me. I wanted to be in control of it. But I also wanted it to be more than just you don't have to be a Bachelor fan to get into it. Yeah. That's why I wanted to write a book of essays. I wanted each essay to stand alone. And hopefully people can relate to it on different levels, whether it's social justice, whether it's an essay on racial identity whether it's a, uh, it's on my law schooling, um, whether it's about, um, it's called, there's a chapter called The Miss Sex Education of Rachel Lindsay. And I talk about religion and virginity and just the, my story with that. And I that I've gotten a lot of responses about, about growing up in purity culture. And they, and I, and I, my, my hope was no one talked to me in that way. So hopefully you can take this essay and share it with someone else. So it's a lot of different things that I tap into. And of course, The Bachelor. <laughs> of course, there, there are a few call outs in there. I'm addressing a few things that I haven't had the opportunity to. Hopefully, I answer all your questions. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit of everything. So what you're saying is there's a little bit of tea in there for us Bachelor loving. Okay, so that's, yeah. No, but I do love that it is a collection of essays. I feel like it is such an easy read, but yep. also it's just like such a powerful takeaway from each each story that you present and each, you know, 
part of your life. I feel like that's, you know, hearing people's stories for me is such a piece of, okay, I'm not alone. Oh, okay. I'm not the only one who feels that way. Okay. You know, because you're so right being, I know I've watched The Bachelor since it started, right? The first season with, oh gosh, was it Trista? Was Trista the first? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the first, first, bachelorette. first Bachelorette. That's when I started watching it. Um, But, you know, just always thinking and always comparing myself to other girls on there. How do they look like that? Or how do they always have it? How do they look so good? How is their hair so perfect? How? And so you're so right about that. But you know, we have to constantly remind ourselves and something that I've learned as I've gotten older, because we won't even talk about how long ago Tristan's season was and I how mean, long it, ago. Did you know, I told that. Hope this, we would have all graduated. We would have been in the same graduating class. Did you know that? With Tristan? With me? you. All of us. The three all, of us. All three yeah. of us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, we won't even talk about how long ago that was. But, um, you know, just reminding ourselves that what we're seeing is such a small piece and part and how it's edited. And there's so many different factors yeah. that go into that idea of perfection. You know, I mean, just like with social media, just like people are constantly looking at other social media and thinking, oh, they have the perfect life or, oh, they have it all together. And we all know if we're really being realistic that that's just not a reality. So um, love, love, love your book highly recommend it to everyone. Um, educators, I think there's so many different pieces in there for us as well. Just again, from story perspective of realizing, okay, I'm not the only one that feels that way, or maybe this is something I've never talked about, but now I realize it's okay to, to share and to talk about as well. So love it. Make sure you pick up Miss Me With That. Such a great book. Um, so this summer, we're so, so, so oh, excited man. that you are going to be coming to the Get Your Teach On National Conference. I'm just ready to see you in person yes. again. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, yes. is, is Brian going to come? Can he bring his table? I need I need some help. <laughs> I, and I know it's so hard. He actually has come to um, the summit before. But it's so hard because he's a sole practitioner. He's the only one working. And he's, got his, he's got his people he's got to take care of. Okay, well, yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say this or not. So if Chase can edit it out. But um, <laughs> extra R for teachers, the summit this next year is in L.A., right? Yeah, no, no, no. That's out there. Okay, okay. that's okay. That's okay, okay. Good. So it's, and that's where Brian's practice is, right? Okay, yes. so tell oh, me there. Oh, boy. <laughs> will be in LA. Oh. I'm so excited, selfishly, because I don't have to exactly. travel. Exactly. You, so you don't have to, your luggage last time. Yeah, you don't have to worry about losing your luggage. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. I know. I was talking to them and I was like, so which hotel are we staying at? And then I was like, wait a second. I was just going home. What am I <laughs> That's doing? That's right. But I, I am so excited that we, we met, we talked, we said that this was going to happen, and now I am thrilled to be a part of Get Your Teach On, and I can't wait to see you guys in June. Let, 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 let me just say this to our listeners right now. Like, when we say that Rachel is like a warrior for teachers, we don't literally. even play we it. We told everybody like, this. All, all we had to do was literally send one little email, and she's like, yeah, I'm there. I'm done for it. She showed up, she showed up at this extra yard for teachers thing every single year, and it's it's hard. I say it's hard to find people like that who are out there outside of the education community who do have a platform. It's it's not, but it's very rare to find people like Rachel who are genuinely in love with teachers and supporting educators because they know the impact that we have. And we just want to thank you so yeah. much for yeah. doing that. I mean, you didn't even ask questions. You're like, yeah, I'm there. What what, what <laughs> time? Really when? trust us. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. I met you. I met you, and then Britton, who is He's like, amazing. you know, a godfather oh to me as we come at this point, speaks so highly of the two of you that I'm like, done. That's all I need to know. You know, well, good people, well, vibes, the energy. I, I no questions needed to be. Well, asked. thank you. Just win and I know, I know, we tell you this all the time, but you have no idea what that means for educators to just know right. that support is there. We don't, you know, as educators, it's not always felt and it's not always seen, but it is there. And you are such a reminder of that to all of us. And so just thank you so much. We cannot wait to see you this summer and get like, wait, I get to see you in person. But thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for always just being so vulnerable and so relatable for so many women out there, number one, but also for teachers. Truly, truly, you have no idea what that does for us. It empowers us like you would never believe. So I know that so many of our podcast community, they're going to be at the national conference. I know they're so like when we announced that you were coming, people were losing their minds. They're so excited to see you and hear from you. So just thank you for yeah. the work that you do. Let our listeners know as well, because I know a lot of them 
them um, already know who you are and follow you, but where can they tap in with you? I know you talked about your book, but also your um, podcast as well. I know I've learned so much from your podcast. So just give us a little um, rundown of where they can connect more with you. Absolutely. Um, Thank you guys so much for having me. You can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook at the Rach Lindsay. And then you can catch me on extra six out of seven days. (laughs) Check your little buttons for that. You can also catch my podcast, higher learning new episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday and new announcement that literally just happened. If you're a Housewives fan, if you're a Bravo fan, what? it was only a matter of time before I connected myself to this world. New podcast called The Morally Corrupt Bravo Show drops every Friday where we cover whatever Bravo shows are on, plus tackle the news of the week. So what? you got to check that out. Oh, and I write a blog once a week um, on Meta. It's called Honestly Rage, where I just talk about everything from love, life, career, all of that in between. And then I do an Ask Rach once a month where I'm asking your questions and tapping into you guys. I mean, I mean you're, you're not busy at all, but you made time for us today. <laughs> That's right. That's the whole point. That's what I'm That's saying. That's the whole point. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge Below Deck fan. <laughs> so that needs to be on. That means needs to be covered at least one time. I do have one request. That, we need to cover that. Yes. Okay, we have it yet. We Below need to cover deck, that. please. I have one request. I am so inspired okay. just a little bit by what you're talking about with your father. Please, uh, if if he would ever do a podcast, I'd love to talk to him. I mean, it'd be awesome. What? Let me. You know. Let me see if I can get him before a conference. Oh. Let me see if I can. My, you know what? I will say one thing about my dad. I, I just am so inspired by both my parents. They come from such humble beginnings and education was such a big part of their family and their first generation college students. And my dad comes from a family of 11 and my mom comes from a family. Wow. of Wow. It's just amazing what they've been able to do. And they instilled that in us. And despite everything that they've accomplished, they are so, it's just so humble, salt of the earth people. And it's been a passion of my dad's to mentor students. My dad realized he was the first, like I said before, with what he did with the city attorney's office and now as a federal judge. And part of what he does is paving the way for representation, for there to be clerks that will come in. He looked around and saw that there were not a a lot of clerks for people of color or even with women. And so my dad has been very much so at the forefront of hiring clerks that are representative of everybody and very inclusive. So yeah, like I can brag about my parents all day, every day, but we have to get them both. Let's do it. I already have some ideas. We'll we'll talk when, when this is over. I have an idea here in Atlanta with a good, yeah. Anyway, I digress. You know, my sister's in Atlanta. Oh, where's she at Atlanta? Well, I'm actually, okay, we're getting off. I'm actually coming to Atlanta Memorial weekend, but she's, I'm not sure where she is. Okay. Northwest. I don't know. No. Okay, well, we we need to end this podcast so we can talk so we more with all the things that we can't tell you guys. Yeah, no, guys. You guys, I can't wait to see all of you in June in Orlando. Thank you, thank um, you, I'm, thank I'm you, so yes, happy thank to meet you. Everyone. Thank you so much, and thank you to the Gear Teach On community and all of you tuning into a pot to this podcast episode. We hope that you enjoyed this talk with Rachel. We, I know, already know that you love her as much as we do. She's just such an incredible human, but also advocate in all of the work that she does. So, thank you once again to Rachel, and we will see you next week. Bye, everybody.